What do you want your legacy to be? By that, I mean, what do you want the lasting impact of your life to be? What do you want to be known for or remembered for? What do you want the lasting impact or the lasting impression of people, people to have of you? Well, maybe you haven't really thought about that. And even as you think about it now, what is my legacy? You think, well, no one is going to remember me. Uh, I'm not sure I, I want anyone to remember me. That could be another response. It could be, okay, yeah, my, my legacy is, is important. Well, however you might respond, I do want you to pause for a moment and, and ponder that question because we're going to come back to it. What do you want your legacy to be? Okay, shifting from our attention from us to God for a moment. What is God's legacy? Now, I'm not going to pretend that I can address exhaustively, comprehensively God's legacy. But to think about it a little bit, we do know his legacy is quite different from our own. So you and I, we have the limitations of this short life to establish a legacy. Yet God, he has no beginning and no end, and his legacy is established forever. His legacy is eternal because he always is, always has been, and always will be. Praise God. This morning, in Psalm 111, I want us to consider the impact, the legacy, if you will, of God's works. As we look at this psalm, we learn of God's praiseworthy legacy. God's works provoke us to praise. I invite you to turn now in your Bibles to Psalm 111. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find that on page 509. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, as is always the case, you are welcome to take that home with you, to read on your own, to learn what it is that God has to say in his word about himself, about you and I, and about how we are to give him praise. Reading now from Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to, to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. 
His praise endures forever. This psalm, Psalm 111, is a psalm of praise. It is filled with praise. It starts and it ends with praise. And throughout, we see many reasons to give God praise. As we think about three different reasons this morning to give God praise, we're going to be focusing on the works of God. So we see his works appear multiple times, five times in this passage. So three reasons that we are to praise God, focusing on his works. So for those who are taking notes, our outline will be this. We'll have three reasons to praise God. And then under each of those reasons, we'll have three responses of praise. So three reasons to praise God under each reason, three responses that we see in this psalm of praise. So first, reason number one to praise God, reason number one, his works are great. His works are great. We see in verse two, great are the works of the Lord. Full of splendor and majesty is his work. The psalm starts with this call to praise the Lord. And what immediately follows from the psalmist is this resolve, I will. The psalmist resolves, he he determines that he will praise the Lord. And he's so resolved to do this that he then proceeds to tell us how he's going to do it. And in his telling us, he's not just declaring how he is going to praise the Lord, but he's inviting you and I to join him in giving praise to God. You see, like the psalmist, we too can join and respond in similar kind in praising God. So our first response of praise we see there in verse 1. Response number one, give thanks for his great works. We see there, give thanks. Comes right after praise the Lord, give thanks. Give thanks is an integral part, a central part, a vital part of our worship to God. It's part and parcel of our praise of God. So in giving thanks, the psalmist is kind of giving a summary statement of he's going to give praise to God as he gives him thanks. So we give thanks and praise to God in two ways we see in this passage. First, to give thanks with our whole heart. You see that? Give thanks with our whole heart. We are to praise God with all of our being. So when we come to worship God, we come with all that we are, and we worship him with all that we have. Colossians 3.23, so I'm going to give us a few verses. You're welcome to jot those down, reference them this afternoon. But Colossians 3.23 tells us, whatever you do, work heartily, that is with all your heart, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. One of our primary works is, is that of praising God. We're told as well in the Gospel of Matthew 6.24, no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one or love the other. He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. When we worship God, we are to worship him with our entire heart, our full devotion. I was speaking with a member in a few months back who had 
a non-compete clause in his employer contract. And so essentially what that was saying is that he was to work for his employer and could not be doing similar work in, in the same field for another employer. He had to give his full attention to the work that he was tasked to do. There was this non-compete clause. Well, as we think about worship, I wonder what it is that maybe competes for your worship of God. What is it that competes for your worship of God? In what way can we focus on worshiping God with all of our heart? Well, the second way we see that we can give thanks, this is still our first response, give thanks, and we give thanks with our whole heart, and second, we give thanks in the congregation. We give thanks alongside others, in the company of the upright, among other believers. This is the, the invitation that I mentioned earlier, how the, the psalmist is going to declare that he's going to praise God, but he's also inviting us. And so he's praising God with other followers of God. And when we do that, it is, it is a joy, is it not, to, to come and see others singing and praising God? It, it brings joy to our worship and to our praise. But it also brings a certain protection as we gather regularly with God's people. Proverbs 13, 20 reminds us that whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So as we gather each week with others who have committed themselves to praising God and to watching over one another, there is an added protection we have. I think of our church covenant. We have that on our website. We recite it six times a year during our members meeting. If you come into membership of this church, you go through a class on our covenant. And it says this in one of our lines, that we will exercise an affectionate care for and watchfulness over one another. We do that as we pray for one another, encourage, warn, rebuke, and admonish one another as occasion may require. One of those protections of us gathering with the congregation, giving thanks to God with one another, is this watchfulness over one another. Now, friends, the, the next line in the covenant does talk about us gathering regularly, and, and I'm aware of who I'm talking to right now. I'm talking to those who have chose to come this morning. As Dave mentioned in, in the opening comments, we are here on, on a rainy day, and you've chosen to get up out of bed and to come and to be here. Praise God for that. That is His work in your life, that we would come to praise Him. And let us be encouraged in our praise of Him. But I'd like to also have us note that, those who, that there may be those who are not here. Let's take note not just of those who are here, but also of those who may not be here. Pastorally, and, and let me just address any potential confusion off, at, right off the bat, our attendance at church is not going to be what, what saves us. Our attendance at church is not going to be something that uh, then allows us to be seen as good before God's eyes. But our attendance at church is going to be an indication in some way of our spiritual well-being. 
and, and pastorally and pr- potentially you have noticed as well just in personal relationships, as friends of ours, as, as people discontinue the regular assembly, no longer coming regularly to worship God, it is usually an indication of some spiritual hardship. Now, there, there may be physical concerns, yes, and that may be the entirety of the explanation, but also we want to be attuned to spiritual hardship. Friends, as we gather with one another, there is a protection in our assembly. Maybe just to illustrate this a little bit further, you think about the, the counsel that parents will give to a child. Each of us has been a child at one point. We may be a child in this room now. And we've been given some counsel about the company that we keep. We're, we're told to choose wisely those who that we keep close to us. And, Father, and friends, our Father has graciously provided you and I to keep close to one another as a protection. So let me earnestly just encourage us as you are doing this morning to continue to gather together in praise of God. A second response, a second response of praise we see is to study God's great works. We see that in verse 2. So we've given thanks and now we study God's great works. We are to be careful students of God's word, of his works. He's provided really two contexts for us to really study his works, and that is both in the world in which he has placed us and also his word which he has provided for us. So if we think about the the laboratory of the world for a moment, that first setting for being a student of God's great works, the laboratory of the world, Psalm 1, uh, excuse me, Psalm 19, verse 1, David says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The world, as we look around, creation itself gives great testimony of the works of God. And it's likely the beauty of creation that the psalmist in one, Psalm 111 has in mind here in verses 2 and 3. In verse 3, that we would study the full splendor and the majesty of his works. And, and you and I, if, as we spend time studying God's world, we have that first-person account and experience of the great works of God. Creation is full of his great works. My son just received a telescope at Christmas time. Thank you, Aunt Katie. So what happened? Upon receiving that telescope, he was very excited to study, to, to, to use it, to go outside to look at the sky. He got a star chart uh, and, a, and a book about the universe, the galaxies. He began to think about the constellations. There was an excitement, a delight that he had in God's great works. Well, we get to also delight in God's works as we consider the library of his word. So the laboratory of the world, and then consider the library of his word. The Bereans in Acts 17, they were commended for their eager study of God's word. They examined the scriptures daily. And as you and I read the books of scripture, as we flip through its pages, we read of God's great works 
throughout. Not just his creation of the world, but his redemption of the world. His redemption of his people. His faithfulness to his covenant towards his people. We'll see this even later in the psalm. In in verse 6, he has shown his power in giving his people the inheritance of the nations. God has has promised in the Old Testament a, a land for his people Israel that they would come out of Egypt, out of being under slavery and oppression, and he would provide for them a land of their own. He would rescue them. As we look at the pages of Scripture, we see time and time again God rescuing his people from Genesis 3, a promise of a rescuer to come, the exodus that I just mentioned, and, and Israel's return from exile back to the land that God had for them. We're even told in, in the New Testament that God is preparing a place for his people to which we will be brought up, and he is providing that rescue that will be final for you and I. So what do we do with this response of, of studying God's word? Well, studying his great works, we get to study God's word together, and we get to see God's work on display in the world around us. A third response is to delight in his great works. Delight in his great works. Psalm 1 tells us, Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Like many disciplines, the discipline of study that we just spoke about will bring delight. So we discipline our bodies, and then we begin to enjoy the benefits of disciplining our body. We engage in the discipline of studying God's word, and we begin to see and delight in God's good works revealed to us through his word. I mentioned a moment ago my son looking through the telescope and and seeing the sky and his delight. And that has has a, a contagious effect. As he delights in the stars, he wants to learn more. As you and I delight in God through his word, we want to learn more. I've heard one friend describe this delighting in God's word as as this um, gracious circle of wisdom, this gracious circle of wisdom. As we return to delight in God, it has this reinforcing loop, right? And we return to this gracious cycle of, of wisdom, of following him. And so, if you want to learn more about the stars and the constellations, I would encourage you to be around my son. If you want to learn more about God and his word, I would encourage you to find others who delight in God and his word. You'll find them as they speak about his word and engage in in speaking with them, delighting together in God's word. Well, there's a second reason we see that we are to praise God for his works. Reason number two. So we had our first response reason, which is his works are great and three responses. And now we have reason number two. His works are gracious. 
verse 4 of Psalm 111. He has caused his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious. Now, ad- admittedly, these descriptions of God's work, they do have some overlap. So God's gracious works, they're accomplished because God is great. And his, his great works, his great acts are an act of his grace. They, they, they overlap, they go together because God is, is both of these things. He is great and a gracious God. The, actually, the organization of this psalm is a uh, acrostic. So in the Hebrew, it's an alphabet acrostic where there's 22 lines talking about how we are to praise God with each and every line, praising God. That's how it's the format of it in, in the Hebrew. And so knowing that, that the psalmist used kind of 22 ways to talk about how we are to praise God, I'm comfortable with having some overlap in three ways of how we are to praise God. His works are, are gracious. And so in thinking about his, his grace, the psalmist highlights that, and so I want to highlight that with you now. So we respond as we remember, it says in verse 4, as we remember his gracious works. So all of creation benefits from God's gracious work in, in creation and his, his common grace as it is revealed to creation and to creature, but you and I as human, as those created in the image of God, we have a unique ability to appreciate and to recount God's gracious works, to to remember them. In this way, you and I are different from the rest of of creation because we have the capacity to praise him by remembering his grace. You probably have I'm sure I had the experience where on your phone pops up a, a prompt, maybe from your photos. So you, you have a memory. Google Photo says you have a memory. Um, and, and as you kind of look at that picture, it brings you back to that point in time and, and the circumstances and what was happening. And if it's a joyful picture, it does give you great joy in, in remembering. But we have this, this ability to to remember. And, and in, in the case of, of that, you know, Google photo or maybe a, a memory just pops into our mind, that was kind of passive, but it pops into our mind and we remember. I would like us to think about how we can actively remember God's grace. So his spirit brings things to mind, yes. How can we actively remember God's grace? How can we actively pursue remembering. I have five brief suggestions, five brief applications of how we can do that. First, you can set a reminder on your phone of an Ebenezer moment. So I heard this from Pastor Jonathan, and I think that was more or less the term that he gave to it, an Ebenezer moment, uh, that, that idea of when was the time that the Lord helped you He was faithful to provide for you. He was faithful to care for you. Some of us probably more readily right now can recall our need. But let's also remember the ways that the Lord has provided for our need. So one one practical way you can go about that is to put a reminder in your phone. So we put a reminder about maybe an anniversary that we want to celebrate. 
the birth of a child, things that, that are important or significant. Well, let me encourage you to implement this, this idea of a reminder of an Ebenezer moment and put it on repeat so it shows up year after year of how God had helped you. He had graciously provided for you. It's one suggestion. Second would be to keep a journal, to, to write out how it is that the Lord has been gracious to you. You can keep a journal in a way that, that helps you, that serves you. There's not one way to go about that. All right, so I'm not going to tell you the, 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 exactly the, the do's and do nots. But that is an exercise, writing, remembering God's grace to you. Third, have a conversation. Have a conversation with another friend about the ways that God has been gracious. I remember a few months ago talking to Walter Schultz. So recently, after his injury and being able to visit him and have better part of, of kind of a, a, the lunch hour with him and, and his wife, Beth, one of the fascinating aspects of that time, that conversation with, with him, was, was remembering the many ways that the Lord has graciously provided for him. He's been merciful time and time again to Walter, and that's my testimony as well. That is your testimony as well. Each one of us that has a testimony of salvation, we are able to share that, recount that, have a conversation of that, about that, how the Lord has been faithful. So perhaps consider who you might be able to have that conversation with, whether it's sharing your testimony with a friend or whether it's getting to know someone and hearing more about how has the Lord been faithful to you throughout your life. One of my joys serving as a pastor is being able to do membership interviews as people come into the church and hearing of God's faithfulness. It is such an encouragement how the Lord woos his people to himself and faithfully cares for them. So that's third, have a conversation. First, set a reminder. Two, keep a journal. Three, have a conversation. Four, perhaps you commit to scripture memorization. And again, you're going to be helped by having another person maybe join with you in this. But ha have a schedule. Have, have a, a partner who will help you in committing to memorize scripture together. And then finally, using the reflection time during our worship service. So a fifth way that we can actively remember God's grace is using the reflection time. So we start the service with the time of quiet preparation. We finish our service with a time of quiet reflection. Even this morning, as we come to the Lord's table, we have a chance, an opportunity to remember the Lord's grace to us in sending Jesus to shed his blood for sinners who will repent and believe. So even this morning, we get to take the Lord's Supper and remember together God's gracious works. A second response, response number two to God's gracious works, is to receive his gracious works. Verse 5, he provides food for those who fear him. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. Let us receive his gracious works. He provides for those who fear him. God graciously gives us our daily bread. 
And as the Lord Jesus himself modeled, we are to pray and ask that the Lord would give us our daily bread. We will find in in asking for this, he is faithful to answer and to provide. And he provides in ways that are personal with the individual person, you in mind, and there are practical with the specific needs that you may have. We also need to recognize our needs. So the Lord knows our need, but as we fear him, we are to recognize our need. Those are, these are the ones who God gives grace to, those who recognize their need and those who, who fear him. Thinking about fear, we see that in our passage a couple times. To fear God is to, to esteem him highly, to, to revere him. We hold him up and we humble ourselves. That is to fear God. Essentially, it's, it's another summary word for how we are to worship him as we hold him high. James tells us that God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. Let us be those who are positioned to receive God's grace by humbling ourselves. When we fear God, we are positioned to humbly receive his grace and then also to boldly partake of his grace. Once again, as we'll be doing together this morning. So a few thoughts here on on application to this second response of receiving. Let us ask of the Lord. Let us ask of him the things that we need. Let us ready to ourselves to receive from him. So we're asking expectantly, and we are readying, our, readying ourselves to receive from him. A, a third way to receive is to pursue humility. To pursue humility as we serve others, as we invite the, the feedback of others, as we humbly ask for help or acknowledge when we don't know something. We're also in a position to receive when we pursue reconciliation. As we confess our sin before God and repent of our sin to one another, we are asking for forgiveness so that we might receive forgiveness and restoration. Then finally, a fifth thing for us to receive is God's mercy and his grace. His mercies, we're told, are new each and every morning. And his grace is sufficient for each and every day. Well, a third response. We've remembered his gracious works, received them. A third response is to remember that his gracious works are entirely of God. Remember that his gracious works are entirely of God. Taking verses 4 to 6 together, we see the initiative of God throughout, through the repetition of he. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. He provides food for those who fear him. He has shown his people the power of his works. God's initiative is seen in this passage and throughout in his relationship to his, God, to, to his people. God is faithful to his covenant forever. He has promised that he will be faithful 
to his people. And this is entirely of his choosing. God has chosen to love Israel. God has chosen to love his people. Think first of the history of Israel, why God chose them. Not because they were great in number or power, but because he, he chose to love them. And God has chosen to love you and I, not because we have something to bring to the table, so to speak, as though there is something great or powerful about us, but rather he is faithful. He is faithful to his covenant. He chose to love us. In verse 6, the, the immediate context there that we see says, he has shown his people, Israel, the power of his works in giving them an inheritance forever. Uh, this, this is referring to God, I mentioned earlier, the, the exodus and preparing a, a promised land for them. This was a land that God had already promised his people. He had already promised victory, and they needed to faithfully follow him, remembering that the works were completely of God. You're familiar with the story, the spies who go to check out the land. There are two that come and say, yes, it is pleasing, it is beautiful, it is flowing with milk and honey, and God is going to give it to us. Two who remembered God's promise, that God's work was promised Whereas there were 10 who, who feared their, their foe, the, the enemy there, the opposition, there were two who remembered God's promise. When God promises to provide for us, to remain faithful to us, we can count on his, his promise. And any victory that he gives us, any spiritual victory that he gives us, is entirely of his, his doing. I think for a moment, uh, Thanksgiving, I was with family, visited family, and there was a soccer game. It was the dads versus the kids. The dads versus the kids. So in this case, the kids are young enough where the dads, the kids won. We don't always let the kids win. The time will come where we won't let them win, um, but they were young enough to let them win, and they don't know we let them win. And I understand as well that the time is coming where we will no longer let them win. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be very hard, if not possible, for us to win. But my son and, and his cousin, they came home and they were celebrating the victory in the soccer game, how they had won, how they had won. Now, it took some, some convincing to get my son to come outside and to play this game, but then when he played it, he, he, he won. And in his mind's eye, it was all his doing and his cousin's doing. But what you and I know is that as the collective group of dads, we allowed them to win. And, and having them come out, having them obey our instruction to come out of the house and to play, they were going to be able to win. And, and God in, in similar kind. He is promising us victory so long as we will listen to his voice, so long as we will follow him, so long as we will obey. So any victory, let us remember that it is entirely 
God's work of grace. Reason number three. Reason number three to praise God for his works. His works are good. His works are good. Verse seven, the works of his hands are faithful and just, performed with righteous faithfulness and uprightness. Again, these terms will overlap God's grace and his goodness. His works are, are, any of his works are always works of his, his grace, are going to flow from his good character. Because God is these things, good, great, gracious, it's going to be true of his works as well. But I do want to highlight something of God's goodness, because the psalmist does this. In verse 9, holy and awesome is he. Holy and awesome is his name. And so we see the the goodness of God and how we are to respond in praise to his goodness. Three responses. The first response we see in verses 7 to 9 is to trust his good works. We can trust his good works entirely in verse 7. All his precepts are trustworthy. And we we can trust his good works eternally, forever. They are established forever. They are commanded forever. In our recent study in Genesis, we've been reminded of this, that that God's good works towards his people, they will endure. (laughs) Even in Joseph's life, as he faced challenging circumstances, confusing situations, ultimately, you and I had, had the privilege, as we studied through Genesis together, of seeing God's trustworthy works. We respond in praise to God as we trust his works. There will be opportunity where we too will be confused about the circumstances that we face in our daily lives. And once again, you've you've heard me say, but we will benefit from surrounding ourselves by other followers of Christ who will remind us of his faithfulness. So response one, trust in his good works, even if we're in the midst of difficult circumstances. Response two, trust in his good work of redemption. Trust in his good work of redemption. You see there in verse nine, he sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. God's redemption of his people is his greatest most gracious good. God's redemption of his people is his greatest, most gracious good. We've seen this this theme where the promise of providing and this idea of rescue and redemption. Well, we've said earlier that that is for those who who fear God and and that is those who, who trust in in him. His redemption is provided for those who turn to him in repentance and faith. This redemption, it says, comes from a holy and awesome God. God is holy. He is perfect. He is without sin, and he has made you and I to know him and to worship and to praise him as we're considering. But the reality is that we don't. We rebel against God 
we turn against him. We seek our own praise rather than giving praise to God. But God rescues us in sending his son, Jesus, the redemption that he is sending, has sent for his people. Redemption in the person and the work of Christ. Christ, who is God, came as a man and lived a life without sin, died on a cross in the place of sinners, and rose from the dead so that, repent, so that sinners who, who turn from their sin, who repent and place their faith in Jesus, can know his redemption. Friends, God's redemption is his greatest, most gracious good. And it's for you and I who turn and trust in him. Friends, if you're here this morning and you have not trusted in Jesus for redemption, for salvation, let me encourage you to do so. We've seen in this passage the initiative of God to set his love on his people. God's love for you is going to be based on you responding to his initiative. He's not going to see good in you, in and of yourselves, and choose and love you and save you accordingly. He's going to see the goodness of his son. And those who have placed their faith in his son will be received as part of the people of God, will be seen as good. Redemption is at hand. Redemption is for the people. Uh, Christ has sent, God has sent his redemption in his son, Jesus. Holy and awesome is he. I think for a moment of, I'll give you another quick story. This, this summer, uh, our kids were learning to swim. And um, <clears throat> we talked to our youngest, who's two, and we told her about these floaties, these puddle jumpers, if you're familiar with them. Go out in your arms, and that these are going to, to, to hold you. Um, I think up here she understood, hey, these will hold me if I, if I you know, daddy says these will hold me. The, the demonstration of her, her trust in, in, in these, these puddle jumpers, these floaties, was then in her ability to just entrust herself fully to these floaties. You may have heard that, that gospel that I just spoke about a few moments ago. You may be familiar with who Jesus is, who people say he is. That is, that is insufficient to save you. Just like my youngest kind of understanding that the floaties will keep her above water, until she experiences it, then she's able to really be above water. Until you and I place our trust in this redemption that is made available, only then will we be redeemed. Only then will we be those who are saved. Response number three. Response number three is to do good works. Do his good works. <clears throat> God's work after each day of creation was described as good. And when it came to the creation of man, it was described as especially good, as very good. In Ephesians 2.10, we see that believers are God's workmanship created in Christ for good works. God has created us in Christ, believers, to perform to carry out these good 
works. The good work that is given to us, we see there in verse 10, and that is to fear the Lord, to fear the Lord. And as we come to our last response, let me think about with you about three, three ways for us to fear the Lord, three, 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 ways that, three reasons for us to do that. It is our good work to fear God first for our own sake. We fear God for our own sake. We see here that fearing God is the beginning of wisdom and good understanding. Fearing God is God's good design for human flourishing in this life. Second, we also fear God for the sake of others. We, we fear God for the sake of others. This, this context has been in the congregation, this, of, this context of praise in the congregation. And so let us fear God for the good of fellow believers, those in the congregation, but also for those who are outside of the congregation, that they may see our fear of God and fear him as well. And another reason to fear God is for the, the glory of God. It is fitting to fear God. It brings him glory. We are to fear him for who he is and, as we've considered his great works, what he has done. For he continues to be one who is worthy of our praise, of our fearing him. So the psalmist, in, his, in, in the entirety of this psalm, is calling us to praise God. We read of God's praiseworthy legacy throughout. So returning to that question I gave you at the beginning about legacy. What do you want your legacy to be? You've had a few moments, though not many, but have you given it further thought? What do you want your legacy to be? Well, perhaps your legacy could be one of, of praising God. A legacy of praising God. What a great legacy to leave. It will have a great impact on you. It will have a great impact on others. It will give others a great impression of who God is. But it's also a legacy that you will continue in. <laughs> you may leave this life, but for eternity, for eternal life, we will praise God. We will praise him forever. So the psalmist says, and I will praise God. He is, he's taken on this legacy of praise. You and I, let us join him in praising God. Praising God and letting that be our lasting legacy. Letting that be our eternal legacy. Because as we see, his praise endures forever. So let us pursue this together. Let us resolve to praise him together with all we are and with others, with diligence and with delight, with gratitude for his grace and going after the good that he has given us to do to the praise of his holy name. Let's pray. God, we do give you praise for your works are great, and you are worthy to be praised. 
Father, give us eyes to see your good works in our lives and around us. And Father, would we have mouths that declare your good works to one another. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.